0: You know, before I begin, I would like to um, express my gratitude and welcome a very special guest that's here this morning with us. My own mother, yeah. all the way from Argentina. <laughs> Quiero darte la bienvenida, que has venido desde Argentina. <laughs> and she, uh, she's been here for three weeks helping us, and uh, now she departs on Tuesday. Te vas a ir el martes, así que vamos a extrañarte. This is not a gift of tongues, it's Spanish. <laughs> and um, and so I'm so grateful to have her here with us, and hopefully she'll come back. Esperemos que pueda regresar muy pronto. As you have probably noticed, Pastor Andrew isn't here with us. We uh, received news that his grandmother was not feeling very well, and so he took an Uber all the way to Indiana. <laughs> Talk about technology these days, advancement of amazing things. <laughs> and, uh, and so he's there with, with the family. Today we received news that she somehow recovered from her, from her coma and that she's glorifying God and praising him. And so for that we give thanks. Because even at age 93, God may not be finished with you yet. <laughs> and so we give praise to him for that. Now, I would like to uh, go into the sermon and go into the message that God has placed in my heart today, and last week, I preached a message on faith and experience, because I truly believe that it is experience that solidifies our faith, but I want to also talk a little bit about the role of reason, okay, because I also know that reason has a a, a good um, way in in playing, um, it's a good source of, of truth, and so I want to speak a little bit about that today. So let me begin by discussing three things that tend to undermine our faith in God. The first thing is this, it's the experience of fear. There's perhaps no more debilitating emotion than fear, and we have all experienced it. You know, it is the weapon that the enemy has devised against us to paralyze us and to bring us from a position of trust and rest into a position of despair. There's no better illustration in the New Testament than the story of Peter walking on water. Jesus calls him to step out in faith, and he is so excited, he begins to walk on water. But the moment that he looks at the winds, his faith begins to subside. I think I'm going to have to use this mic, because this one does not like me. (laughs) Or the handheld. I was going to be confined to that space. (laughs) Thank you so much. You, You have me off on this one? Thank you so much. I'll use this. And, um, and you know, fear is, uh, we've all experienced it in our lives, but the war reminds us that we don't have to live in fear, that we don't have to be afraid, that when fear comes, all we have to do is take it captive and step out in faith. You know, last Sunday, it's so interesting, I preached a sermon on faith, and fear tried to taunt me that same day. Isn't that funny how sometimes that works? You know, we were at the house right after the service. We went to the house of a dear brother and sister who had invited us to come uh, for um, a prayer service. And we were there worshiping God. I felt the spirit of the Lord so heavy in that place. We began to worship God. And as soon as we began to sing, Andrew has a seizure. That had never happened to him before. He never experienced a seizure in his life. And I had never seen one. So there I am watching my husband have a seizure. And all of a sudden, I begin to cry, for his, stop worshiping, please. Uh, let's pray. Let's pray right now. And so we prayed and he relaxed. And then I said, please, let's call 911. This has never happened before. We have to, to give medical attention. So the, the uh, paramedics came and then uh, they took him to the ER. And we spent the next six hours in the ER. Fear will not have me. Because you know what, after six hours, we found out what we were expecting, that the results came, up, came out normal. There was absolutely nothing wrong with him. X-rays were fine, blood work was fine, no shifts in the brain, absolutely nothing. So why did he have a seizure, you may ask yourself, just like I asked myself. Medically speaking, it's what's called a breakthrough seizure, and when you have brain surgery, these things are likely to occur, or more likely to occur, I guess, Um, But then they said this is an atypical seizure. We don't really know why he had one. Spiritually speaking, this is what I call an attack of the enemy. Okay, but he will not have his way in my husband's body. He is defeated. And so that is why I can continue on to look at the one who specializes in the impossible, to the one who walks on water. And all I have to do is keep looking at him. And I will not be confined to the weapons the enemy uses to bring me from that place of trust and rest. You know, there's a phrase I read at the Kentucky Health Store not long ago that keeps coming back, and it's this, when the roots are deep, there's no reason to fear the winds. Because fear and faith cannot coexist in the same space. The moment you allow fear to reign in your mind is the moment that your faith begins to subside. And all of us, must make the same choice. What will reign in the unseen corners of your mind? Is it faith or fear? We all have the same choice. The second thing that tends to undermine our faith is not just the experience of fear, is the issue of unanswered prayer. And this is why. Many of us have prayed and prayed and prayed for someone who was ill, and the person did not get well. So we automatically assume that it wasn't God's will to heal that person, or that somehow we lacked personal faith. But nothing could be farther from the truth. Because as we saw last week, Jesus answers to every level of faith. Even the man who comes and says, I do believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus answers, and the, the son is healed. So it is not a matter of whether you lack faith in your prayer or not. And as I will show you today, it is not either whether it's God's will to heal or not. Because I do believe that it is always God's will to heal all. And I will show you how. In the scriptures, there's not a single example of a person who comes to Jesus for healing who does not get healed. Okay? So you may say, well, that was back then. You know, today is a very different story. But isn't Jesus the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow? So if what was possible then becomes also possible today. Well, you may say, I just want his will to be done. And I don't know if he wants to heal me. Well, let me ask you this. Is it God's will to save you? Is it God's will to save everyone? Or is salvation reserved only for the chosen few? In our doctrine, we believe that salvation is for all. It has scriptural basis. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says this, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. In other words, there's unlimited atonement. All we have to do is receive salvation by faith. In the same way, there is unlimited healing grace. All we have to do is appropriate it by faith. Okay, you may say, In fact, let me explain why this is so, okay, before I go on to the next question. The Greek word soteria, which is often translated as salvation in the New Testament, can also be translated as healing. And so these words are actually interchangeably used in the New Testament. Let's look, for example, at James 5.15. The prayer offered in faith will make that person well. This word is the word sotso, which means to be saved, but also means to be made well or to be healed. And so it is the same way we can say that the prayer offered in faith will save this person from their illness. So just as it is always God's will to save people, it is always his will to heal people. And faith begins where the will of God is known. So now that we know the will of God and that he wants to heal us, and that absolutely nothing will separate us from his love and from his grace, we can now appropriate it by faith. Well, you may say, if healing is for all, and God always desires to heal, then we shall never die. But divine healing goes no further than the promise of God. He does not promise that we will never die, but he says, I will take sickness away from among you. I will give you a full life span. You may say, Well, if it is God's will to always heal, then why are some people not healed when we pray? In our rationalism, we always try to find reasons for everything, don't we? But we must have a category for mystery and put certain things there, or we will run the risk of placing our faith in faith or placing our faith in experience rather than our faith on God, who is above our limited minds. Bosworth, in his classic work Christ the Healer, actually gives 22 reasons why people don't get healed, and not a single one of them has to do with whether or not it was God's will to heal people. So when we pray, Lord, if it is your will, please heal this person, we are actually saying, well, we don't know your will, and now you do. We pray, Lord, may your will be done. Heal us. Because you want to make all things new, and you want to break into this place with your newness of life, with, uh, with your spirit that makes all things new, and that makes us and restores us and transforms us into his image and likeness. Amen to that. I am so excited, because you know what? Some people have said, well, if you have so much faith, why hasn't your husband been healed yet? A valid question, but let me tell you something. He has been healed. I am just waiting on the manifestation of his healing. I don't have to see with my physical eyes what my spiritual eyes have already seen. And God showed me that he is going to be healed. He showed me. So I'm going to take him at his word. Maybe he's waiting for you to catch up and start believing too (laughs) that he is healed. We don't have to see with our eyes. What God shows us in our spirit, trust him in your spirit and walk by faith. For the righteous will live by faith and not by sight. Amen. Amen. I am a firm believer of this. (laughs) Every single day, the closer I'm to God, the more I see that absolutely nothing can separate us from his love. Now, I understand that faith sometimes can be also deflated by a third reason. And it's the experience of evil and suffering in our world. In fact, Jesus said that in the last days, there would be an increase of evil. And it is no wonder, he said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? As we looked around the world, it is so easy for us to become discouraged when we place our eyes on how evil and suffering is so rampant everywhere. But Christ came to inaugurate a new kind of kingdom. A kingdom that can break in, that can set people free, that can cut their chains, that can make them impossible possible. This is the kind of kingdom that he offers the church today. I think of Job whenever I think of evil and suffering. Talk about a man that went through tragedy, pain, and distress. Boy, I I don't want to get lost in the trees, but I want to tell you why the book of Job was written in the first place. You see, according to some scholars... In the book of Job was written to deconstruct, to dismantle the retribution theory. So let me explain what I mean by this. Often when bad things happen to us, we begin to think that somehow we've done something to deserve this evil. But nothing is farther from the truth because the world is not governed by justice. And this is what the book of Job is trying to show us. Now, don't get me wrong. Sin and suffering are certainly connected at the cosmic level, but not always at the personal level. It is not simply because I am now ill or I, I have this tragedy in my life that I did something wrong to deserve this. This is what the what Job's friends were trying to do when they were accusing Job and saying, hey, confess your sin. Confess your sin because you did something wrong to deserve all this. And Job is like, I don't, I don't know what. And, and then You know what the the problem happens when we do these things? There's two tendencies, and there's two problems. One is for us to begin to pass the wrong judgment, okay, like Job's friends did. And the other one is for us to subscribe to the wrong perception, because then we feel like it's all our fault. Now, we don't lose sight of God's purpose and glory in the midst of our suffering, because God's words remind us what we ought to do at all times. He says, trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You see, it is not until God turns his face towards Job at the end of the book and becomes accessible to him that he says, now I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. A couple weeks ago, I was praying and worshiping late into the night, and everybody was asleep at home. And uh, there I was uh, just, you know, enjoying the presence of God. And all of a sudden, I grew acutely, acutely aware that his presence was right there, right next to me. And I stopped all of a sudden, and and I could not see him, but I heard his voice. And he said to me, look into my eyes. What do you see? And there I am, uh, not seeing anything, but imagining his face. And and all of a sudden, I, I, I say out loud, I see love in your eyes. And then he says, look again. What do you see? What else do you see? And I said, I see grace in your eyes. And when I said grace... His Holy Spirit came upon me, filled me to the brim. And I began to weep at the recognition that everything I have, everything I am, is nothing but the result of His grace. It is grace. (laughs) It is His grace that has brought you here today. It is His grace that will come and heal your wounds. It is His grace that will set you free from the bondage of the past. It is His grace alone that will save you eternally. And it is his grace alone that will sanctify and purify your heart. It is his grace. So that's why salvation is available today. That's why healing is available today. And that's why freedom is here today. But here's the truth. The enemy knows that. And he has devised new strategies to try to steal from us, to try to destroy us, and to try to kill us. And the church has not kept up with the times. The same, plagues of the, world are, the same plagues of the world are plaguing us. Illnesses, mental distress, abuse and addiction, rejection, the list goes on and on. And the truth is, and I say this sadly because I was one of them, we are in the army of the Lord, but so many of us are like wounded soldiers, unable to take our posts. And then there's others of us who are just way too busy and too comfortable to take our posts. And we are making our ships a little bit more comfortable as they slowly sink. This is what Billy Graham said regarding the church in America. He said, we have confused liberty with license. Not the church in America, the the state of America. We have confused liberty with license and we are paying the awful price. We are a society poised on the brink of self-destruction. What are we going to do about this? It is time that the church keeps up and step with the spirit and what he wants to accomplish through us. We are his people. And he's finding, he's looking for a people that will partner with him in the mission to rescue the lost. In the mission to heal the brokenhearted. In the mission to break the chains of those who are oppressed. And he's calling us to partner with him in that mission. So we better be ready. And we better allow his Holy Spirit to come and heal us and teach us and get us on board with what he wants to accomplish. You know, for the last year, the prayer ministry that has met on Tuesday nights. and this prayer ministry, I I give thanks to God for them. Because for nine years, they have labored intensely every single week, paving the way for what the Spirit wants to do. And for nine years, they have prayed and prayed and prayed. And I believe God wants to start answering some of those prayers today. And, uh, you know, we have recognized that the tragic reality in which we live, only a movement of God can really begin to heal and transform the society around us. We have for a year, some of us, and you'll see the names on on the screen, have uh, been working together on creating a platform for people to come and experience the healing grace of Jesus Christ. We have called this ministry Breakthrough. And Breakthrough is an extension of prayer ministry that allows the individual to be set free from past wounds and old hang-ups. By encountering the healing words and the healing grace of the Holy Spirit. I don't have time to explain uh, what goes on in these sessions. And because I don't know, honestly, when God will release us to launch it. I cannot go into a lot of details, but uh, I will just tell you that it will come as we walk in step with the Spirit in the near future. This ministry, as Carrie, one of the members pointed out, is an opportunity to position you to fight your battles with an advantage to win them. Now, there are many things that block the way to healing and freedom. And, uh, and all these things will take another sermon. And so since God kind of compiled two sermons into one, uh, I'm going to be brief as I, as I uh, continue on. But three main things that block our way to healing and freedom are sin, unforgiveness, and deception. In other words, lies that we have believed about ourselves and about God that we now have been deceived by the enemy. So let me explain briefly the pathway towards freedom and healing. The first one is the old confession. Okay, everything begins there. We must turn away from our sins and we must turn to him who sets us free. We must confess. It's biblical. Listen to the word. Acts 3.19 says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. James 5.16 tells us, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The power of confession is liberating. If you want to walk in freedom, you must turn away from what holds you back. And you must turn to him who places your feet on higher ground. We must come to a place where we're so tired of the old, all the old junk, that we can't wait to receive the new treasures He has in store for us. That is what He has to offer us if we would only begin with confession. I know it sounds simplistic, but if this step is absolutely necessary. Confess your sins, confess your need for Him, cut off generational patterns in His name, and be set free. The second step is forgiveness. Very hard one. C.S. Lewis points this out. He says, everyone thinks forgiveness is lovely until he has something to forgive. Very true. We all like to receive forgiveness, but extending it, oh, it's just another story. And the truth is that forgiveness doesn't come naturally to any of us. Okay, many of us have been through a lot of difficulty in life. But let me tell you what forgiveness is and what forgiveness does. Forgiveness is a choice. It is acknowledging the wrong suffered, and it is releasing bitterness and resentment associated with it. It is extending undeserved mercy and grace to the offender. It is an act of faith and courage. It is typically a process. It is difficult, but it is liberating. The story is told of two monks who were traveling to a near village by foot, and they came to an unusually rough river. Now, they... By the river was a woman, and this woman was sitting down a little bit concerned because she couldn't cross the river on her own. So desperate, she cried out for help. Please help me cross this river, she said to the monks. But the monks, knowing that they could not touch the opposite sex because it was forbidden, well, they were a little bit reluctant. The first one turned away completely and dismissed her request. The second one began to have compassion in his heart. So breaking with tradition, he picked this woman up in his his arms and carried her across the river. He let her go, and, and she was so thankful, profusely thanked this monk for his help, and went home. They began to walk and continued on their journey miles and miles. And then all of a sudden, the first monk broke silence. And he said, I can't believe you did that. You know you're not supposed to be touching the opposite sex and to do those kind of things. He was adamant in, 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 in his constraint. And then the second monk looked at him and said, well, I understand that. But look, I set that woman down many, many miles ago. But you, you still carry her in your heart. How many of us have been carrying her? things in our heart that is time to just let go and let the lord give you a new heart the final step is the hardest one because it's daily we must renew our minds daily do not conform to the patterns of this world says the scriptures but be transformed say it with me be transformed Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is a daily task. Now, as a general rule, if you have a thought that is wrong or not true, then it's not worth entertaining. Okay? Because wrong thoughts will lead to the wrong perceptions, and wrong perceptions will lead to the wrong attitudes, and wrong attitudes will lead to the wrong behavior. So stop the train before it's too late. Okay, take your thoughts captive. This is, a, as a matter of fact, I, I perceive those thoughts because I, 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 my thoughts were so crazy at one point in life. I know you think that I'm still there, but I'm not. By the grace of God, I've been set free, okay? And, and all of a sudden, if, if you don't catch that thought and say, it's, where did this come from? It's not pure. It's not praiseworthy. It's not beautiful. It's not from God. Okay, I'm going to send it back to where it came from. Get out of here because I'm going to keep walking in this way. That's daily. Okay, there is no magic pill that you take for you to walk in freedom. It's a process. But at some, at some point, you have to break it. You have to break the stronghold that your mind has, has built. And that's why breakthrough isn't necessary. But it only equips you for the battle that's ahead. Because the enemy is relentless in his attacks. But guess what? Bigger is he who is in us than the one who is in the world. He sets us free. He gives us his healing power. He gives us his spirit to continue to fight our battles. And he's already won. And we are on the winning side. So that is the good news that he has to give us today. Will you partner with him in his saving work? Will you step in by faith into what he wants to do in you? If you do, then uh, it's simple confess, turn to him, he's ready to heal. He always wants to heal. He always wants to sanctify. He always wants to do a mighty work in his church because he is grace, he is love, he is here, and he wants to heal you today. Now, John Wesley, and I'm going to invite the worship team to come, and as they begin to play, I'm going to tell you something. John Wesley, I love John Wesley. He said, preach faith until you have it. Preach faith until you have it. And when you have it, preach it because you have it. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to preach divine healing until it happens. And when it happens, I'm going to keep preaching it because it happens. Because I believe in his power. I believe in his grace. I have seen it. I have experienced it. I know it's possible, and I know it's real. So if you believe it too, I'm going to just have, ask you to do something maybe you haven't done before. <laughs> if you need his healing grace just to break free in your life, I'm going to just have you come and, and, and the altars are open. You can come and confess and release and do whatever you need to do to set your heart right with him. But if you need a special touch in your body and you need just him to heal you today, I'm going to invite you to come forward. And as the worship team plays, And they begin to play and worship God, and the whole congregation will worship the Lord as well.